Welcome to yet another episode of Shortcast Over Coffee. Today, my guests are the co-founders of the startup VoltPost, Jeff Prosserman and Luke Mayro. VoltPost is a hardware as a service company that transforms lamp posts into smart electric vehicle charging stations. In today's episode, I talk to Jeff and Luke about how they started VoltPost, how different the North American EV charging infrastructure is compared to say Europe. and how they look forward to working with cities and policy makers to enable fast convenient and reliable charging to the urban environment please do like share and subscribe this channel shortcast over coffee on top podcast platforms like apple spotify etc now without further ado let's dive right in hi luke hi jeff welcome to the podcast hey bear thanks for having us Awesome. Uh I heard one of you guys mention in a in a podcast that in the land of supermarkets we are the bodegas. Um uh, do you remember that? You you are. I I do remember saying that on on a podcast back in the day. Um happy to unpack that. Yeah. As we dive in. Yeah, here, we sure. should we should start with that. Uh what did you mean by that and and what what do you think Volpost is? Sure. So so to give a little context without the whole background of the company uh Volpost retrofits lampposts into electric vehicle charging stations um to provide communities with a, a really scalable and equitable approach to uh electrification and one of our goals is to make charging as ubiquitous as lampposts and so the conversation around uh the bodega is we really want this infrastructure to be as convenient as a bodega is in the city that you know at, at every couple blocks you have a station that you can plug into and so that really gives folks the access to uh the electric vehicles who don't have a garage to charge in which for context is is about half of city drivers who don't have that garage and need that public infrastructure yeah and and this is great because i think uh, a lot more cities uh, i mean i can talk about the silicon valley um where i am based is that there is push for multifamily dwellings and apartment homes and sort of smaller homes which make the city more walkable so i think the number of people who would require chargers like this is only going to increase so um so great idea uh, i was actually watching uh, a video about the ev adoption in norway and what the city of oslo had done is it had installed separate city wide curbside chargers um and it has been extremely successful in norway and i just want to get a sense of how voltpost is different and what made you sort of not go that route because it's sort of tried tested and successful as well sure so just to give a bit of background we started voltpost about 3 years ago now in q1 2021 with the mission to decarbonize mobility by democratizing charging access and recognizing that Europe like Norway and even UK are bit ahead compared to North America when it comes to providing convenient and affordable charging access especially curbside um saw that was truly lacking in the US and probably the North American market so we in our research early days and our customer discovery 
looked at what was happening over there and whether it makes sense to potentially even partner and bring existing technology into the U.S. market. But through our customer discovery, talking with utilities, with the Department of Transportation in New York City um, and other stakeholders, we recognized that we really needed to have a custom-bid solution for the U.S. market that met the needs of the stakeholders here, still serving the same problem statement or pay points, but obviously done for the U.S. consumer in mind. Yeah, what were some of the differences that you saw? Because, I mean, for people who have traveled to Europe, uh, I'm pretty sure they recognize that the cities are a lot more denser, there is more walkable places, and, you know, U.S. is more of an urban sprawl. So, uh how did you make that uh, product market fit, if I may call it that? Um, is it is it particularly catering to urban um, areas, or, or or do you plan on expanding it to uh, a, a lot more suburbia as well? Well, we started this company in New York City and San Francisco, as uh, so two of the most densely populated markets in the U.S. and recognizing firsthand driving me be um, parking curbside in Brooklyn and going on charging missions to pay parking lots on the fringes of town, that this was really not going to be a solution that enabled the average consumer uh, to go from gas to electric and without that convenient charging access. So with a background in technology for 20 plus years at this point, and bringing uh, Luke, who's on this call, as well as our other co-founder, Jorn, who has 20 plus years of product experience where we collaborated for about half a decade at Samsung together uh, by Hostly. So he's based in San Francisco and we saw the exact same problem that I saw with Luke in New York and ultimately went through a good amount of just talking to people, customer discovery, seeing if this was a real problem and if so, really what the differences were in that product market fit equation and found that early days, like the solution in the European market took the approach of providing a simple socket where they drilled that into an existing lamppost streetlight and that that solution just could not be translated to the US market for a number of reasons. And so we took an integrated solution approach, which effectively took the cable and brought it into the system. And then we started to think about beyond the retrofit, how could we provide further value? And that included redesigning the handle for the charger, thinking about safety in streets with LED light feedback, unlocked with the mobile connection, as well as taking a modular and upgradable platform approach, really using charging as an entry point and then providing additional services for cities. Okay, so so from what I understand, the solution was already existing in in markets like the UK, where you know companies like Ubitricity, I think, uh, were sort of the trailblazers in this regard. Where you know you just take your car, uh, the lamppost is just as is. You take out your cable, uh, and and in the in this approach. Are you planning on integrating the cable with the lamppost itself? Is that how I understand it? Yeah, we first started down thinking if we could do a bring your own cable approach, similar to what was happening in the UK, and then found friction on a number of levels when we were talking to stakeholders. First, 
obviously with the end user the driver you don't bring the cable to the gas pump so now you're creating additional pain for the driver to actually figure out how to leverage that charging experience of course you could keep a cable in the trunk but that's just an additional hassle second from true liability and safety concern when you have a bring your own cable approach um, especially in the u.s market the question of who actually owns the liability if there's safety issue whether that be creating a trip hazard or potentially freight cable that when we're talking to utilities and the DOTs of the world and public customers, they just frankly could not foresee moving forward with the bring your own cable approach because of that risk inherently. Um, and then ultimately taking the integrated cable approach, which is what we've designed and built for at this point, it's frankly a much more complex engineering feat. We have a mechanism that unlocks and spools the cable out with your mobile connection, creates a bit of a magical experience that you haven't seen before with a traditional charger. But that took a lot of thinking and iteration to get to a version that truly creates that great charging experience. And so, yes, it's certainly a lot easier to just drill a simple socket into an existing post and then tell people to bring cable. But we believe, obviously, we're in early days of charging being an emerging technology, going to the mainstream and having that uptick, that it's not always about the first. It's sometimes about actually perfecting that experience, making sure that something can then truly be scalable into the consumer experience that everybody's looking for. Mm. And I'm sure this brings a lot of other challenges, right? I mean, the the one that I can think on the top of my head is vandalism. And um, uh, I was reading a report from the Department of Energy, uh, and it goes, quote, much like catalytic converters, charging cables are full of valuable copper wire. Every year, copper thefts account for more than one billion in losses, uh, according to the U.S. Department of Energy. And it is highly valued because the prices of copper have soared. Um, and I have had firsthand experience of uh, these, uh, like you drive to a charging station and, you know, the cables are cut. Um, so especially San Francisco, I think, has had problems with, uh, you know, theft, vandalism, shoplifting, and people seem to hate technology. I mean, I think recently uh, one of those self-driving Waymo cars were burnt um uh, near chinatown so uh, lots of crazy things going on so how do you plan on addressing that was that ever you know in the back of your minds i'm, I'm sure it was but uh, uh, what did you um, think of uh, the workaround so obviously we can't prevent somebody smashing our charger with a baseball bat or potentially cutting a cable but we can design it in a modular and upgradable approach. And what that means is we can maximize the uptime and lower the operating and maintenance costs over the lifetime value of the charger because of that modularity. So effectively, it provides flexibility to have two level two chargers for curbside and then up to four chargers, one on each side for parking lots. And those four modules can quickly be swapped within a few minutes and then a new unit be added onto the physical digital platform that we built out. Everything's managed through the cloud, through a charge station management system, so we can see 
current reliability perspective, when something goes down, and what aspect of the system may be down, with different error codes, and be able to promptly actually service the unit. And another thing, difference between a lot of the charging 1.0 companies and the thing lessons learned that we're building into our model today is recognizing that reliability is such a concern for the charging sector, building the operating maintenance costs into turnkey solution for public and private site hosts. So we don't just give you a charger and say you can figure out how to deal with it if something goes wrong, but truly look at it as a service that we're providing and that we're there as a true partner every mm -hmm. single way. Mm -hmm. That's that's fantastic. And I, I think uh, one of the ways this could also be sort of mitigated is by providing some incentive or some uh, action item for the for the city as well. Uh, is that, you know, the more number of people use these charging stations, there is probably a cut that the city gets. And hence, there is an incentive for them to improve the law and order situation. And a lot of the times we see that you know, the technology advances much faster than the policies do. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to know from you guys, if you have, you know, started to work on the policy aspect of things, like how can the cities benefit from uh, implementing this and which will also give them sort of a bit of a brownie points if they improve the law and order. So it's like a win-win situation, as close to a free lunch as it can get. I like the concept of brownie points in it. I might use that for the cities. One piece just to uh, unpack our business model that we prefer is actually, um, it's the hardware as a service model where we actually give the revenue to the cities. Um, and so what we mean by that is we bundle the installation of the charging station, uh, the software platform that we license, uh, the ongoing maintenance, again, to Jeff's point, really ensuring that we have high reliability on these chargers for a simple annual fee. And then we allow the cities to set the price for the charging and earn the revenue from those chargers. And to your point, we believe that that's a strong alignment of incentives and that the cities are providing this utility to uh, their end drivers, the, the folks in the cities. And um, by having them aligned with the revenue stream, it encourages more usage of the chargers. And as the city drivers electrify, uh, the city hits its climate goals and they earn more revenue. Um, and so, so we've structured that model um, to allow the cities to benefit from them giving this infrastructure to their constituents. Mm. Yeah. And one of the other things that I thought about was that, uh, you know, when, when a city or a country moves towards electrification, uh, everything needs to keep up. You know, the grid needs to keep up, the uh, the charging infrastructure needs to keep up, the production needs to keep up, and and so on. Um, so, with the kind of um, EV to gasoline slash hybrid power cars that we have in our cities, um, you know, having a charging option at a lamppost uh, will will mean that you know only an EV can ch charge there, or what if? a gas car goes and parks there, you know, do they get some uh, fines? You know, I, I was just thinking through it uh, and uh, would love to know how, what your thoughts are on, you know, uh, dedicated parking for EVs next to a lamppost versus not because, you know, you can't have lampposts 
at the same frequency as the parking spots or the curbside parking spots. So uh, uh, would love to know your thoughts around that. So obviously we don't control parking regulation in cities, which is a much contested challenge in and of itself. But what we are providing as a service by doing the retrofit is a turnkey solution to those cities and to those agencies who set that parking regulation. We can prove with data that ultimately, if you were to designate certain parking spots as EV only for charging, then you would, as you would expect, have higher utilization for those chargers than if they were just continued to be open to gas cars as well. And recognizing that some of these same agencies have climate targets to electrify their fleets and electrify transportation with the GHG reduction, um, it is certainly in their best interest to at least consider dedicating some of those spots um, we obviously can be part of that conversation, but we're not really driving that piece of it. In the end of the day, um, with the revenue utilization aspect that Luke was mentioning, it really is an opportunity for cities to provide that as an EV only spot to generate more revenue for the city and for the community, frankly, to reinvest. And yeah, we, we're providing our end of the bargain and ultimately there to enter into communities in a way where Opos can be a beacon of sustainable progress and hopefully is seen as a positive entry point. We go to community board meetings and meet with local groups to make sure that bringing this into an area is something that's seen as a positive. Uh, not as something that is obviously just bringing technology in for technology's sake. Hmm. Fantastic. Uh, how did this whole idea germinate? Uh, and how did you guys meet? What what I, I know you briefly touched on your background, you know, 20 years uh, in the industry, uh, working with Samsung, etc. But uh, how did this idea germinate? Did you guys have the same thought at the same time? Or did one person have the thought and just communicated it to the other? Uh, would love to know that. So I was the director of innovation at Samsung, managing the cross-functional team to deliver a portfolio of products from concept to commercialization, some hardware, some software, some IoT projects, which is where I collaborated with our co-founder, Jörn. And given the climate crisis, wanted to do something to make more of a positive impact that led me to Columbia University to do a master's in sustainability management, which is like a green MBA. In the first semester of that program was developing different business cases, seeing obviously so many different climate problems that need to be solved in the fight to decarbonize and wrote a research paper around electric vehicle charging and the lack thereof, especially in cities and the concept of if we could retrofit existing lampposts into an EV charging platform and took that research paper to my friend Luke, who I met in that Columbia Master's program, and colleague Yor, who was in that program, but had worked together for a number of years. And that paper was finished in December 2020, started talking shortly thereafter through the holidays, and somewhere into the spring had a company. And Luke, do you want to give <laughs> your version of things? 
I don't think I'm uh, going to change that at all. Um, what, what I'd just give is a little background on myself. I uh, was a banker in my, my previous life, uh, worked at Barclays Bank, led a number of sustainability initiatives at the bank. And uh, Jeff and I were co-leading an entrepreneurship organization in the Columbia Master's Program, which is really geared towards seeing if we could find climate innovation, uh, incubate some of those ideas and ultimately spin out of company. And Jeff wrote a research paper that became exactly that. Mm. And so um, we had the real privilege of having a great support network around us, um, a great co-founding team, and uh, we're able to bring it to the mm. world. That's fantastic. And, and you know, especially after the Inflation Reduction Act, there has been a lot of money, a lot of venture capital interest in this space. Um, and yeah, I do see a lot of venture capital firms starting a climate arm so that, uh, you know, people get excited about this and there is... Uh, like I said, a lot of money pouring into tough tech, hardware, and software. And usually when something like this happens, obviously it's great for the society. Uh, it's great for, you know, getting to that climate goal that everyone has pledged. But sometimes rationality becomes the first casualty. Uh, so how did you sort of make, uh, make sure that the decision or the path that you are moving towards is rational uh, and the reason why i ask this is because you know obviously after so many years in the industry uh, this is a big step you don't really know uh, where you are getting at and uh, uh, so so would love to know how did you uh, sort of have this mindset that yes this is the path we should go towards look do you want to start <laughs> i don't know Jeff. I, yeah we could take this so many different ways and, and maybe uh, one direction I'll take it just with, you know, the business background is how we thought of this um, from a business perspective, making sense. And, and I'll give it a story on that basis. You know, we were looking at uh, a pilot done in New York city for curbside charging and got a hold of the budget for that pilot and realized that to do the level two standalone chargers um, in the city where you have to block off a city block, dig up the curb, just that process of digging up the ground was a six-figure expense. And so with New York City having a goal of 10,000 curbside chargers, if you scaled that expense, we would hit the billions of dollars mark, right? And so feasibly, we need a different solution. And when we thought about building bolt posts, really what we focused on is building a business that can be profitable, right? And, and I think one of the challenges that um, a lot of the hard tech industry has faced is without front significant capital expenses. How do you build a business that really becomes profitable that doesn't stand on just grant capital? Because you know the the policy future can vary based on you know political wins, and what we want to make sure is that we can stand alone as a business with good economics, and so. You know how we really thought about this is 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 in a few different ways one from the cost side um the bread and butter of the business by retrofitting existing infrastructure we do not have to do that construction trenching process right and so we can be fractionally as expensive um for our end customers and then on the revenue side we really wanted to innovate beyond just the uh charging itself and so our modular technology allows us to 
add additional components over time. And so um, some things we're exploring are, are different uh, networking solutions that we can plug in um, and different smart city services that can expand our platform beyond just the charging. And so really having innovation on both the cost and the revenue side, we hope can build a sustainable business model that allows us to scale over time um, with profitable economics. So um, that has been our drive since day one. And, and it's allowed us, I think, time back to your comment on venture capital to bring in some of those folks who see that same vision that we do of not only being a, a climate technology that can have impact, but also a technology that can stand by itself financially. Mm. Yeah, that's excellent. And I'm pretty sure uh, all the venture capitalists would would ask you about the boat. Um, um, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about the the number of players in the charging space, and I can think of, you know, Tritium, ChargePoint, Blink, and so on. I mean, so many of them uh, these days. Um, and, and you did mention about the, uh, the innovative modular technology and integrating the wire with the lamppost and not just retrofitting a socket. Um, According to you, do you think the market is big enough for multiple players or um, uh, you can choose not to answer this question, by the way, I have to add that as well. Uh, but but do you think the market is big enough for multiple players or uh, do you think a significant moat is, uh, you know, absolutely mandatory to, to, to lead in the space? I mean, I think there's definitely room for multiple players in the charging sector. We're like at the beginning of an entire revolution where the entire transportation sector sectors shifting underneath our feet. So there's far more uh, demand for chargers than there are suppliers at this point. And we are providing a differentiated level two solution, both for curbside and parking lots, recognizing it's not a one size fits all. And yes, there are many charging companies some who focus on fast charging, for example, well, when you're thinking about densely populated cities, it's not about fast charging because the grid can't handle it. It doesn't map to the way people park in cities for over 90% of the time and drives 30 miles or less in a given day. So it's more about topping off. I've started to come to the point of asking people how many plugs are in the room that you're sitting in right now. And if you happen to know, then touche. But the reality is that we need a tremendous amount of plugs to electrify transportation, and they need to be ubiquitous and leveraging lampposts and us having a piece of the market, obviously, as others who provide other innovative solutions that are much needed. If we're driving from one city to the next and you need a fast charger, then go for it. And if we can help be part of a broader public integrated charging network, that reduces friction for drivers, the general public, and is also distributed in an equitable fashion across all communities and not just focus on those who can enter the market as early adopters who may have higher income. I mean, we really see that there's a number of players, but there's a number of solutions needed and we are part of a larger charging ecosystem. Yeah, I think I think you said a, a very interesting point because you know we see a lot of these slow to medium uh, speed charging cars, you know, just sitting at the parking lot of a DC fast charger for like forty five minutes to fifty minutes, uh, and which is not necessary. I mean, if you have enough charging infrastructure, level two especially, 
and it's healthier for the battery and also you can top up you know as you go you know you can be at the shopping mall for like an hour or two and then top there you go you get 22 miles or 25 miles so i, I think you guys did find a, a, a perfect market fit for your product and 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 i'm glad uh, and i'm glad you know cities like new york and san francisco are going to be uh, is that going to be a pilot project i'm guessing um i can say that we are developing projects with major cities okay. that have not been announced yet and we're excited to share news on some of those projects soon this year but until we have the official ability to do so we will just leave it at that <laughs> okay awesome yeah yeah looking forward to that uh, uh you know one of the other things that that crossed my mind is converting lamp lamps into led uh do you see any incentive in you know the power aspect when cities you know choose to uh, convert to led so a piece of our installation process that's relevant here and and actually makes for an interesting storyline is we uh do a very similar process to upgrade the power to the lamp posts as uh the led process is commonly done in in cities we've actually uh spoken with utilities about this and and this is really a driver of um why we do what we do so for led upgrades in in cities they of course are getting more efficient bulbs and so what they do is they run a new wire through the existing grid underground and reattach it to the lamppost now that new wire is thinner because it doesn't need as much power right and so what it essentially does is it saves space in the underground grid in the conduit um we do a process where we bring a cable bundle that includes a thicker gauge cable that attaches to our charging station as well as one that goes to the lamppost itself so actually our process to upgrading the lamppost is symbiotic with the led upgrades that are done frequently um because we leverage the same process and those leds actually save the space in the conduit for us to be able to do our upgrade oh wow that's uh that's awesome i mean uh, i mean the things you get to um explore and realize right i mean once you move uh, and i think um it is so true uh, that the uh, you know improvements in technology especially climate tech can can win on cost um you know when you when you allow it to uh, grow so i think that's that's fantastic um well we are in the age of machine learning and ai and uh, before i end this podcast i would love to know from you guys how are you leveraging machine learning and ai to uh, maybe figure out where to install these uh, or or finding out a smart way uh, on on what cities to work with uh, so would love some insight on that sure so i mean i think people very quickly understand the concept of what we're doing the value proposition that it's faster and cheaper to deploy it's more scalable it's more convenient etc but then the next question typically becomes okay where should they go and with that we do geospatial analysis where we look at population car ownership of gas and electric parking um grid capacity equity factors and other things that may be considerations in a given environment or jurisdiction 
and then help through an analysis with the stakeholders for that project to identify explicitly where the treasure should go. When you're thinking about machine learning and AI, as we have more data that we're crunching, you can begin to actually decipher in a more meaningful way where those charges should go. Um, I think collectively we're at the early days of that as a society. And we did the Google for Startups Climate Change Accelerator, and we're connected directly with the Google Maps team and the team that is trying to figure out how to do this type of work with AI and maps and data sets at Google. And the reality is that everyone is at this moment of trying to triangulate the true value here. We're one stakeholder in that. But I think that in the next year or two, we will see kind of that acceleration where that data can be ingested in a meaningful way. And then we can begin to similar to setting variables on, say, a travel site, begin to triangulate with different factors, the rationalization for treasure deployment to maximize utilization or maximize some other component. Hmm. Luke, do you want to add to that? I don't think <laughs> so. I think we, the, the point I would underscore there is um, there are still not nearly enough chargers deployed and with that there's still not nearly enough data and i think as more and more chargers get deployed the data will become more robust and that will allow us to leverage it with some of these tools in a much more meaningful context um so similar to our project stay tuned on on how we do so we're we're in the uh, early phases of that right oh, now fantastic uh well uh, thank you so much jeff and luke uh for for joining the podcast uh you gave great insights on you know how you guys got started how the idea germinated to finding a product market fit and uh, also about uh, scalability and and the things uh, you plan to do moving forward so thank you so much it was great talking to you guys thank you so much for the opportunity and hopefully there'll be full posts coming soon to a lamp post near you <laughs> looking forward to it yeah thanks so much for having us Hi. thank you